Welcome to What's a Job, a podcast uh, <laughs> about jobs. <laughs> it sounds boring, but I swear to God, you guys are going to love it. It's going to be, it's going to rock your world. You, you okay. don't know what a job is. Just trust us. No one knows what a job is. We're about to crack this fucking case. <laughs> we are on it. The trail is hot. <laughs> So everyone, my name is Maria Saab. I am based in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am in my uh, low to mid thirties. And that's all I'm going to give you fuckers. Early thirties, <laughs> early thirties. Um, I am, uh, you know, I am unmarried and I live with my dog in a rented home. I am, uh, you know, a beautiful rented home. A beautiful rented home. I think that's pertinent just so people can conceptualize that, you know, even if you are super successful in your career or, uh, you know, your lifestyle and how you live might look a little bit different. There's no, um, you know, one plus one equals two on that. But um, very good. But if there was, if there were, it's probably worth saying that you are also a homeowner. You just don't live in the home that you co-own. Sure. Sure. That's true, too. Um, She's a wealthy lady, guys. (laughs) Um, I uh, am a lawyer by education and law license, although I don't practice currently. Um, I did the whole undergrad to law school thing, took the bar, uh, uh, acquired a significant amount of debt, which I've been fortunate to pay off. And um, yeah, I've been in my current job for five and a half years um, in my field for going on 10 and just uh, feel very fortunate to uh, have weathered the pandemic with uh, my job and uh, feel excited about my career and know I genuinely feel like I'm just at the cusp. So that's a good energy. Thank yeah. you. What about you, Faith? You you are who I want to be when I grow up, which is, this is, is yeah, because you're younger than me. So I, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I will. I will. I, so, I mean, I don't even know that I want to be myself when I grow up, but my name is Faith Benson. I just turned 30 less than a week ago, so I'm still clinging Welcome. to 29. Thank you. Welcome. Um, also live in Nashville. Um, I I was really lucky. I moved to Nashville right out of college, and it was kind of like at the time I felt like I was really behind with real estate if I wanted to buy a house here. Um, but I ended up buying a home for a price that today would be laughable. Um, and since then have been, I have since sold it and bought a new home that I'm adding on to. Um, and so currently I feel like (laughs) my life's work is figuring out just how much money I can swindle from my home's equity and like figuring out like new ways to build wealth. So spend a lot of time doing that. Um, but my job, like the thing that is on my W2 that I get a pay check for every week, um, I'm a director of growth marketing, um, for a, uh, technology staffing company here in Nashville. We're actually, we're worldwide, but we were HQ'd here for the last 10 years. Um, yeah, I obviously do this podcast. You You side hustle too. You are a cycling instructor. I'm a cycling instructor. Um, Yeah, it's so interesting to hear about um, what people's like extra jobs are because our generation definitely grew up with the notion that any hobby or passion you have could be monetized. I mean, your Mm. photos can be monetized. Let's just, you know, that's how we grew up. But um, also that uh, 
everyone can have a side hustle and or a side right. job or a little ditty on the side. So, um, well, and it's almost just like, at least for me, I don't feel secure if 100% of my income is coming from like somebody else who has to sign my check every week. You know, like I, I don't think I'll feel really secure financially until I'm making money while I sleep. And so that's why I feel like I'm just constantly trying to figure out the right investments and like get enough money coming in at the top of my financial funnel to kind of have have the freedom to do that. So, yeah, diversification is definitely something I've learned a lot about um, as I've uh, grown my finances, so to speak. Mm. But um, one area that I hope we tackle maybe next season, I'm just going to keep putting it off for every season, (laughs) but like that crypto, NFT, Bitcoin, metaverse situation, it looms large over my head. And I feel like that's how people are making money while they sleep. Um, But who's mining that money? I want to know who they're hiring to mine that money. I'm just kidding. Right. Here's the thing. Here's the thing is like, we consume so much media. That's like, here's the next thing is NFTs and crypto and web three. And like, for sure, that's absolutely true. It's also true that a perfectly reasonable investment, if you have like a couple hundred grand laying around is to like buy a Burger King. Like, you know, you really, you do not need to like crack the crypto world to, to be an investor in something. So that was a cue to the, the Burger King himself that we would love a sponsorship for this. Pod, so yeah. I feel like everybody, their jobs have like such a bad rap. Like nobody wants to talk about them because it's boring. People want mm-hmm. to talk about hobbies instead. But I feel like we have really fascinating conversations in this podcast. I do too. And I think we're able to peel a layer of the onion to highlight that we don't have to consume job content in the ways we have had to over the past several years. Yes. I think everything, I think at least in my my generation, I'm just kidding, our generation, although Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit older, we've been sold on this idea that your job has to be your passion and that also your hobbies have to be a job. And Mm. I think a lot of our guests will actually show that none of that has to be true, right? Yeah. And that some parts of it are true and that your job can be multiple things multiple you know in different ways at different times of your life and also i hope this is the antidote to linkedin imposter syndrome right yeah or even instagram right that was a core motivation when we were deciding to do this podcast was like I, the only, the only place I know to go to hear, to get an inside look at what other people do for their jobs and careers are platforms where people are incentivized to make themselves look like they've got it all figured out. Right. And so Mm -hmm. somebody who's going there for answers or support or to figure out what to do next or excel in their career in ways that they hadn't thought of reading that content just makes you feel even shittier you know? Yeah. And so I think what we're really trying to do is just have honest conversations with people who 
whose jobs are fascinating to us. And, you know, we genuinely want to understand what they do every day, but also we want to get the real story, right? We don't need the LinkedIn diatribe, one sentence per line, dramatized version. We really want to know like what motivates them. What do they feel a little bit less confident in, right? What do they, what do they worry about in their jobs? How did they get there? Because none of us, probably none of us could have written out what our jobs would be today, 20 years ago, you know? Yeah. I think that's really important that you brought up the whole like path of our jobs, because I think one thing I hope that folks get out of the podcast, and I think this is what, this was your part of your initial idea was, is that some people are going to come with a feeling that they want to explore doing something else, but the barrier to entry, whether it's self-imposed or by society or the job market might be too high. You know, a lot of the people that we get to interview will have fallen into their careers or made a really hard turn to get to where they they are and made a lot of sacrifices. And I think um, it's exciting to hear how so much of what is someone's job can be improvised or picked up pretty much at any any point. Um, I also think we've met a lot of people on the podcast that have really, really awesome jobs, but they don't necessarily see themselves as awesome job holders and also aren't super happy in their job and mm. can't wait to talk, to share with everybody those episodes because some of them are, some of them are kind of raw, I'd say. Faith, you, again, I'm bringing this up, but you're a little younger than me. When did you start feeling like your job was kind of who you were? I have been working in my field for probably like going on 10 years now. And I probably didn't start feeling comfortable identifying with my actual profession until very recently, until I was mm. a little bit tenured in my job and felt like I had done certain things to be like, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm that person. And not saying I'm like the person or I self-identify as being really good at what I do. It just started to feel more natural to be like, yeah, that's what I do for a job. Yeah. Like I work for that company and I, it's my job and my role and I enjoy it, et cetera, et cetera. When did you start feeling like that? That's so interesting. And I feel like it was just super recently because my first job, I was technically a teacher, but I taught through Teach for America, which is a whole can of worms. And so I didn't identify as a teacher. And that was more of, it was less of imposter syndrome and more like it just, I just knew that it wasn't my profession. And then at my first startup job, it was really hard to fit it into a name. Mm -hmm. Calling yourself a startup operator is like, okay, cool, dude. For what startup, you know, like people just identify with companies like X Google or X Lyft or whatever. And so I didn't have that. And it really wasn't until recently that somebody, honestly, somebody reached out to me and was like, Hey, I'm looking for a VP of growth. And I know that you are a growth executive and I'd like to recruit you that I was like, Oh shit. Like I'm a growth leader. That's what I do. Like it took somebody else calling me that thing for me to identify with my job. Yeah. It's so interesting that 
you, you said that because recently I had a conversation with someone at a different company who had seen my resume and very much attributed my entire resume to my current role, which I've Mm. only held for two years. And my entire uh, tenure at this company has involved doing a lot of the same different, a lot of the same things, but it's been much more focused in the past two years. And to hear someone say to me, you are this person or your resume reads very heavy on or heavily indexes on this um, was kind of weird for me. I actually felt misunderstood Mm. and that was a really eye-opening experience. So, I I mean, not the same as what you're saying, but it's interesting to hear someone spit back to you like, oh, I see you as a growth leader or a growth Mm -hmm. executive. Yeah. I almost wonder if that's how, how careers naturally progress, right? This week, actually, we're talking to somebody, our conversation this week is with somebody who, when we interviewed them, was, had no plans of leaving her then current position. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but her self-report was really high and, you know, how much she was enjoying the work that she was doing, her ability to grow within that role. And between the time we recorded our conversation and now she's accepted a new position at an amazing company that, you know, is, we're so excited for her, but she wasn't looking right? It was very much somebody else looking from the outside into her career and saying, okay, that's the person I need for this role. Um, and like very much recruited her into it. So yeah, I wonder how much of our career progress happens because other people decide that decide what our jobs are to a certain extent. Well, I'm so excited for you guys to hear our conversation with Bryn Plummer, who is the Vice President of Equity, Inclusion, and Community at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. I'm so excited. Okay. I'm extremely excited. When Faith asked me, I was like, why would I do anything else? I'm so glad that you're excited because I, I think that I struggle to explain why this is like interesting and cool. Um, and I just gave you like the quickest of Instagram DMs to tell you what we were doing. And you're like, for sure, I'm down. Yeah. You don't usually miss. So I was like, yeah, I'm getting on that oh, face that train. That is such a compliment that I hope one day someone gives me. The highest praise. <laughs> you make great bread. I love just swipe right. Oh. I like a lot of your theories and about the world. So I've known you. Bryn. Bryn was like one of the first people I met in Nashville. Oh, wow. Because she ran... Summer Institute for Teach for America. For how long I really kept up with a teacher for? I wasn't a teacher very long. I taught pre-K for before moving to Nashville, and so I did that for two years, and then I moved and I did that while I was still in school, and then when I moved to Nashville. I taught English and social studies for two years in middle school, and then I taught like literally one semester of seventh grade, and then I I started working on Teach for America staff. Um, so I would say all in all about four and a half years, full time, two and a half years. And then I worked at Teach for America on regional staff for just about five years, almost exactly five years. When did you officially jump off at TFA? It was September 2018. 
Damn, that's so recent. I know. Doesn't that feel like just two seconds ago? It it Um, was only one real year ago because from 2020 on, like, there's been no real years. (laughs) Nothing has happened. Time has been collapsed. Yeah. It's like a paper accordion just, like, folds and opens. When you're, like, a subject-based teacher, does that mean you're just really good at that subject? Or is it, like, you're being compelled? Like, you said social Um, studies, and I was like, she probably, like, really likes culture and history but like and maybe faith like math or something but is that like how what it is they basically look at what you majored in in college and they try to think okay what is the subject area that they're most likely going to be able to pass the content test for so the math content tests are extremely hard I didn't take a single math class in college they were like this bitch can't teach nothing with numbers in it and so they were like she majored in poems and feelings so let's see if teach English and social studies I taught science my first year. It was a disaster. And my, te- my principal was like, we got to get her out of this. Okay, so Bryn, <clears throat> basically what we're trying to do here is help people understand that no one knows what the hell they're doing, generally. Um, that it's really never too late to pursue something different. And no one who's doing a job is inherently like better, more qualified, more educated, than you. I mean, to start, Bryn Plummer, what do you do? What is your job? What do I do? So my title is Vice President Equity Inclusion Community. And I work for a nonprofit called the National Entrepreneur Center. And we are sort of at the intersection of workforce development, community development, and economic development. So the way I think about that is we help entrepreneurs access all the resources they need to start and grow their businesses. And so that's workforce development because, you know, these are people who most of the time are working for a company and it helps them be sharper, even if they're not going to start their venture right away, helps them be sharper in their day to day. It's community development because it helps everyone in our city feel like they have a, a path to pursue what they want to do in their passion, which makes it just a more vibrant place to live. And uh, obviously businesses are a big part of that, making it like, especially a place like Nashville that's so hyper-local. And then economic development because it keeps our economy growing to have new businesses started. Most new jobs, net new jobs in the economy come from new businesses. Um, And it also helps us, like new businesses spring up to solve new problems. So that's sort of how we think about it. My job is I oversee a few different programs. So scholarships, so if anyone wants to access our programming and can't afford to pay for it, then we kind of match them with someone in the community, someone whether it's an individual, company, foundation, that can pay for them to go through the programming. Um, Pre-flight, which is our 14-week business boot camp that takes you, takes you through, like, I have an idea to I have a stood-up business, and we run that three times a year. And then a program called Twin Day, which is a key Swahili word that means let's go, and it is an accelerator, a year-long accelerator for black and Latino tech founders across the state of Tennessee, and it's the state of Tennessee's official minority business accelerator. So, um, yeah, it really runs the gamut. It's introduced me to a bajillion people. I'm on the phone or on a Zoom all day, most days. Um, Thank you for doing this at 7 p.m., yeah. by the way. Doing this again thank on a you phone guys. Zoom. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank y'all. Like, that is my, yeah, so I'm constantly Zooming between things. And it's definitely made me a stronger thinker. It's been very sharpening. But it's also just, like, opened my professional network up tenfold. Um, so, yeah, so I, I love it. I've been there three years and some change. And, um it is like a different kind of job every single day. So yeah, it's really great for someone like me who needs a lot of change in their routine and stuff. Yeah, and like like human stimulation, I yeah. imagine. 
did you have yeah. to talk yourself out of any uh, imposter syndrome? How did you know that this was even so, like a viable path oh for gosh. you? Yeah. Like, how did you do that? I, um, when I first saw the job posting, I was kind of like, mm, no thanks. My first boss at Teach for America, the woman who was over Teach for America, like the executive director for the region when I came as a core member in 2011, she had gone through programs at the Entrepreneur Center and it Shani. said, Shawnee, yeah, yeah. So she was like, hey, there's this opening. I think you should apply for this job, so on and so forth. And I was kind of like, girl, I don't know nothing about business. Like, don't send me things like this. I love you. Thanks for thinking of me. You clearly think more highly of me than I do of myself. But I ended up going out for it and getting offered the job. And I actually turned it down the first time because there was something like about the energy that I just was like, I, I know... I know the demons I'm fighting in Teach for America. Like those are, I've been here five years, which in Teach for America or education years is like 30 years. Yeah. Uh, even, though whole ass even though it's not, and I was like 30. Um, it's still, it was definitely one of those things where I was like, I know these problems. I can manage these problems. I can surf these problems. So I turned it down the first time. Uh, and we were also just about to go to Institute. And I was like, the idea of walking away two weeks, or the two weeks notice in the middle of Institute just felt so ungodly to me. So um, they ended up asking me, back to the table negotiated a longer period and all that kind of stuff i wouldn't say i went through imposter syndrome i my personal approach to life is that i kind of columbo my way through things which is like can you can you explain to some people if yes. they don't know that reference like what columbo means well one i i don't know how many people were latchkey kids or who were hanging out with their grandparents as children but i was both um one or the other and so Columbo was always on the TV Columbo played famously by Peter Falk he's a detective who's like very schlubby he's always got like half a chewed cigar in his mouth and he kind of gets to the heart of what he's investigating by pretending like he doesn't know anything so he's like hey what's going on here on these docks like what's going on tell me I've never seen these docks one more thing uh, so he'll turn around and he'll be like, just one more thing at the very end. So for me, I have no problem being like, I have no idea what's going on in this meeting. Talk to me like I am two years old about what's happening here. And I think that's been very advantageous in this world and in this market where no one really wants to trick you, but everyone wants to share what they know. Uh-huh. Um, everyone wants to feel like they know something and they're sharing something. And so I have found out some really interesting and complex things and gotten really good business advice from people by just being very forward about the fact that I don't know a dang thing and that kind of became like my I would say my brand for a while I even like I have to remind myself and talk myself out of it now it's like you could Columbo the first couple years now you actually have to speak on things like you know things um but yeah that was I don't think I ever had imposter syndrome I think I was very clear-eyed about the fact that I did not know what I was going into and was really hungry to get um, information. It did never feel like something I couldn't master, yeah. but it also just felt like uh, it's going to take me time, but I could do anything these people can do. I, yeah, I have a pressing question. Yeah, do it. Brynn, I feel like your job is extremely sexy. Like It's very when, sexy. When I was going through my last job search, I was like, who do I want to be like? What do I want to do? And I was like, Brynn's job is pretty fucking sexy. Like, if I can do something like that, I would be thrilled. Yeah. So this is a two-part question. The first part is, like, which part of your job is sexy? Like, are people right about? <sighs> I love that you use the word sexy. I want to make the word sexy more of a neutral it's adjective. to use sexy in the it's a business. Part. It's a business word. I probably I use the word the sexy, time. yeah, at least five times a day. Like, yeah, this sexy. copy isn't sexy, but... <laughs> 
I do too, and I I thank God we don't have HR at my job. We do, Same. but it's I like outsourced. <laughs> yeah, I was like because you know it's all dicey. I would say what's sexy. People love entrepreneurs. People love the storytelling aspect of it, and I think that's incredibly sexy. Um, you also get to be in some some cool rooms and cool places like. You know, we did an event with Master P, and so I got to be on the same stage as Master P. And like, you know, my buddy Jeremy, who's one of my best friend on staff, he was working the green room for our big annual event, and Trisha Yearwood was getting an award, and so he was in the backstage green room with like Trisha Yearwood and Garth, and so it was. You know, there's just like a lot of proxy, and Nashville's such a small town that has happened to be infused with a ton of capital and people and buildings. But it is still, you can get to people so quickly. So, you know, getting to rub elbows with people who are super exciting. And even in my nerd brain, like, I get so excited when I get to talk to economic development experts and people who are heads of the Federal Reserve of Kansas City and stuff like that. Like, I get so into, like, that stuff and the innovation is so sexy. Um, We're close partners with Google for Startups, and they've just, like... I remember I was on, I'd been on staff for like a month and they sent me to a Google for Startups conference, which is, you know, Google's huge, 120,000 employees and they're organizing basically little companies underneath. Google for Startups is sort of a branch of their marketing team and it is responsible for getting the tools of Google into the hands of startups and they kind of do like a, um, a network model where they push it out to a set of 75 or so network partners and they push it out to their startups. And I went to a Google for Startups conference and I, you know, keep in mind, I'd been in the world of business for a month and <laughs> I just learned that MVP meant minimum viable product. Like that's how fresh I was. I came back from that conference and I felt like I'd been at the seat of the Illuminati. I came back and I looked at my, my husband at the time and I was like, Mark, they're doing stuff. Like Spider-Man, Dr. Dr. Doc Ocker, real. Was like, things are happening that feel not real and they're happening in this world and people are doing them so that felt extremely sexy um all that stuff is sexy it's the people it's the places it's being around newness and freshness kind of feeling like you get to look behind the curtain and the veil on stuff is sexy and yeah that's all very it's all extremely sexy and because it's nashville even when we dress up you can, can wear whatever you want so yeah you know you get to look hot while you're doing big things, which is fun. You yeah. Know? I don't have to wear a, a blue suit. You know, I don't have to. That's also, if I were to name your autobiography, it would be Looking Hot While Doing Big Things. By <laughs> good, I would buy it on audio and in hard copy. Maybe that's going to be the, or the name of the podcast. Which is so funny because I feel like what I mostly wear around my house is like, Scorts. I wear a lot of tennis skorts, a lot of sweat I mean, that's skorts. way harder than what I wear. Right, like, you mean like on a Monday you wore a skort? Not to work. Like when I work from home, I'll wear a skort and like a crop shirt. I don't know where I think I'm going, but that's what I wear most of the time. So I wouldn't call it, it's sexy in that it's revealing, but yeah. it's more just like, this is how I like to that's, dress. That's your power outfit. Yeah, definitely. My power outfit is um, loose fitting uh, corduroy pants and the... Oversized sweater, apparently. Nantucket mom. Yeah, I so love Nantucket that. Mosh. Yeah. Feels very olive um, kitteridge. Yeah. So what are people wrong about? Like, what about your job is, like, a, like grass is always greener. This really isn't as, like, hot as it looks on the outside. I feel like, you know, people call me the plug because I tend to, like, know who to connect people to. But I would say it's very challenging 
to be people's kind of go-to person for stuff. So I get, you know, calls, texts, emails, like, hey, can you connect me to this person? Can you do this? Can you, do you have any idea uh, of anyone who's doing any grants for XYZ? And um, that is for my little brain that already has a bunch of tabs open, that's kind of hard. Um, but I've developed and I've, I've developed some systems for keeping track of it. And I also, there's really good tools. Like there's this app, there's this plug into email that's called bridge where you can just auto connect to people in your inbox and that really helps and stuff like that's that. Cool. So, yeah. So I've, I feel like I've developed a lot of little cheat codes, but that is challenging to, cause every person's like, even though it might be a to-do item in my head to send someone that link to that thing, it might be like 12 items, one of 12 items on my to-do list and low on the priority list. Most entrepreneurs don't reach out unless they're at a frustration point. And so for them, it might be a really, really big obstacle. Um, so yeah, I do feel a lot of um, urgency around solving their needs and also uh, sometimes get like, I'm like, can't you just help yourself? Can't you just finish up? Can't you like send someone a LinkedIn request? Yeah, so like how it sounds like an exercise of like having boundaries and I mean, I think naturally, like when someone is their title is like vice president, like you, I would be very terrified to reach out to anyone just (laughs) called the vice president. But obviously, when you work in like a community based organization or one that's like, you know, less hierarchical, I guess you can access the vice president. But how do you how do you ensure that you are focusing on your job? like the mm-hmm. role that you have to do while also being this bridge. How do you sort of protect your energy to make sure that every day you get to do a good job while still helping these people who are genuinely yeah. being brave and taking a risk yeah, and reaching 100%. out? Yeah, uh, 100%. That's a great question. That's super nuanced. Um, I think there, well, I, there's a couple of people at the VP level at my organization. I think I'm unique in that I'm the only person who is running programs in programs on zooms with with entrepreneurs and talking to funders and being at community events so i'm as internal as external probably whereas most vps are all internal because they're figuring out strategy for the organization so like my vp of marketing and communications she's not interfacing with entrepreneurs usually if she needs something from an entrepreneur she'll come through us so um so i think that's part of it just being like an external person is I think that's what lowers the threshold for people to be in touch with me. And I think also when you have community in your title and when you're, you know, a black woman who's like kind of gregarious and warm, I think it makes, it kind of lowers those thresholds, I think. Um, And I find too, like, even when I'll I'll tell people my title, when they restate my title, they'll say like manager of diversity or like whatever diversity, which is is so interesting, right? Um, And so, you know, I don't think titles are because we have titles for mostly around pay band, but they don't necessarily we're very non-hierarchical. We all like contribute. Everyone does a lot of different things. There's nothing that's beneath anyone. One thing that has been super helpful is that um, I've tried to empower my team to have answers, whereas before I think my first couple years, I was very like kind of insecure about opening up and giving people aspects of the work so that they could kind of take care and triage it themselves. But I have one person who handles day-to-day operations for pre-flight. I have another person who handles day-to-day operations for twin day. So getting myself out of that day-to-day has been helpful. And then just giving them the info that's in my head and in my brain and empowering them to have it. And also giving them the sense of, since they're both newer in their jobs, giving them a sense of commands. Like you can tell someone no 
Like the deadline right. is passed. You can tell someone that, um, which sometimes feels challenging, right? Like, oh, yeah. especially working with entrepreneurs who are sort of firebrands and take a lot of things really personally, which may not be personal. Um, yeah, it can be really challenging to stand in a no, you know? Yeah, so interesting that you brought up that people call you a manager. Um, I know for me, I would be really upset if someone like called me by a title that was lower than my title, but that's because I have probably some issues and insecurities about that. <laughs> but especially as like a woman, I think, you know, yeah. we, we work really hard to earn titles, so you yeah. don't wanna like lose the ability to claim that space. But you're a human who has entered into a field that's like kind of new, relatively new mm-hmm. for you, but you're mm-hmm. being asked to help other people be extremely confident and clear about mm-hmm. who they are. So like, how do you how do you do that? Oh my God, that's such a good, well, first, I feel like entrepreneurship in the same way that finance has and the same way that home buying has, has been made intentionally opaque yeah. and intentionally convoluted and confusing. I just got so, chills. I've never you know what heard. I mean? I've never heard anyone talk about it. It is intentional. A hundred percent. All of the gatekeeping around, like, how do you actually get money? No. You know? How do you? All this, all of it. It's intended to keep the people who have the means empowered. And also, like, I feel like with an entrepreneurship particularly, there's this knowledge economy where everyone's writing, everyone wants to be a thought leader, so everyone's writing these books and they're all putting their stuff out there and they're introducing these new concepts and new neologisms and they're like, I have the thing to be, because entrepreneurs at their core, good entrepreneurs, they're marketers. Especially for entrepreneurs who have already had their big exit or whatever, they're really invested in keeping things behind closed doors because the more people have access to their thing, the less special they are. And a lot of the ways they're making a life after they've sold their big company, they could just live on the money from the company they sold is by selling books and selling their expertise and all that kind of stuff. Um, So I think part of it is, I think because I didn't major in business, I didn't do anything of that. I kind of had the double-edged sword of being really naive about a lot of things, but also coming at it in a way that I was like, a lot of these things can be, I don't want to use the word dumbed down, but a lot of these things can be explained in a way that doesn't use jargon. Uh-huh. Like they say minimum viable product or MVP. We can, I want people to have access to that language because when I got access to that language, it helped me be more on even footing with other people. But I also want people to say, I also want people to understand when I say MVP, all I mean is what's the first thing you're going to sell? Like, how are you going to sell this in a way that you don't spend three years building a platform that no one's interested in paying for? We've all heard like various arrangements or titles that talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, community. You know, there are all these words that have a lot of feeling, but they're really ambiguous also. Yes. Depending on who's saying them, you have a role that there's a lot of pressure. Like it's a lot of Mm. pressure to be a person of color who's leading these efforts, but it also feels like a little bit of probably like- Like here's a a mess that we created. (laughs) Yes, tokenism. Will will you fix it? Will you fix it? Yes, we'll take a diverse person to be a diverse person and hopefully they fix it for (laughs) for us. But like what is, but that's not the point. The point is sort of like, how has your job had to change in light of the world changing? Yeah. Yeah, um, 
you're so right. Like it's never been more popular to be in diversity and inclusion. Um, I feel like my LinkedIn alerts are all like, hey, someone needs this job that they <laughs> filled and it has diversity, equity, inclusion in the title. That's all that I see on LinkedIn these days. Um, and I'm kind of uh, a rare bird in that I've been in diversity and inclusion since 2013 with like a formal job title in it. So in a lot of ways, even though I'm very early in my career, um, and in my mid thirties, I get a lot of people who younger, older, what have you, who are interested in being in DNI, who are like, how do you do this? How do you, how do you do this for a career? Um, what does it mean to have this job? And it, part of it is that there's so many functions to DNI. So if it's an internal facing DNI role, it can be tracking, it can be close to HR, it can be related to people and performance, it can be related to hiring and recruitment, it can be in that, it can be a talent thing, right? It can be in marketing, like how are we accessing new and emerging markets, multicultural markets? How do we keep ourselves uh, current in these different marketplaces? It can be on the PR executive front, like having to go out and defend the company against things, like uh, I think about the role of being like a chief diversity officer for a company like Uber or freaking right. Uber or Google or whatever. Like there's a lot of um, defensive posturing you have to do when you're working for a big entity like that. Your life is so rich with opportunity. And I'm curious about like the next professional step that you see in your life, given all the things that you have hands in. Oof. What a question. Okay, so two things. I have a precious dog that I love, Dilly, who you know of, okay. of very deeply. So I recently decided to take Dilly to go live with my folks. They have a dog, they have a yard, they have a, you know. So Dilly's gonna live with my folks for a while. So that opens up some interesting opportunities when you don't have a dog with you all the time. And he's living with his dog cousin uh, and my parents who are retired and hang out with him all the time. And so I get updates on the regular. So not having a dog, weirdly, feels like it opens up these these new areas where I can like travel more, do more stuff. Um, I can leave the house more because I have separation anxiety. So I feel like I feel a kind of openness and that literally just happened um, Friday. I went to take wow. him to my folks house. And so it does feel like there's opportunity. I feel pretty passionate about in the next couple years, finding a way to work but not be in Nashville um, so I don't know if that's like having a job that's fully remote. I don't know if that is having a job where I structure in such a way that I can spend win like Nashville winter in Arizona or Costa Rica or somewhere else. Cause this, this great weather ain't it. So, um, so I feel like whatever, whatever I do next, it will be something that enables me the freedom to choose where I want to do the work. Um, I think I could be at the, I could see myself at the EC for a long time. Like the needs are always evolving. Um, the investment in DNI programs has grown like 15x over the past three years. So now it's the leading uh, recipient of funding for the organization, brings in about um, a third of the organization's budget each year. Wow. And so I feel like that opens me up to a lot of opportunities uh, professionally, but also, you know, I think there's a really nice line to stay at the EC and to do that work. Like I really love entrepreneurship. I think it is, it motivates me the same way education did and that it's 
the fulfillment of a promise. You know, you're born in this country uh-huh. by no cho- choice of your own. <laughs> and you're born into this country and there's a lot of opportunity that's presented, but that opportunity is really blighted and blunted by the different things that keep us from being able to achieve those things. Like just today, we had a group of kids in, this, in the building from Maplewood. And um, I kind of want to just like teach everyone how to have these tools. Even yeah. if you don't want to be a full-time entrepreneur, which I know so many people who became an entrepreneur and got broker, like <laughs> there's going to be times in your life when you need to hustle. Like I've been working since I was 13 and no matter how broke I was, I knew there was a way I could turn something into something else. I knew there was a way I could turn something into money. Like whether it's bartering something or it's like making something, I know that I've always known there was a way I could make money out of something. And I want people to know and understand that so that they can be right. really successful and so that they can uh, hustle responsibly when they need to hustle responsibly. Yeah. So the next thing I want to do, I don't, I'm not entirely sure. I know it'll probably enable me to be free. I could see myself working in a corporate entity. There's a lot of DNI needs. I could see myself continuing to work in entrepreneurship. I don't see myself being a full-time entrepreneur anytime soon. Um, that I doesn't mean my- that you shouldn't buy her clothing, though. No, we'll please do. <laughs> please do. I think what actually what I am going to do is hire someone, um, like hire someone as a part-time to come and do the things that I don't. But that's, that's so the other part. interesting. Yeah. Is like we all probably came up in this like girl boss multi hyphenate. Turn <laughs> yes. your three Instagram photos into a business. Do you think we're kind of walking away from the whole like I have to be everything and and all things? Like Faith listed out like you're the host of this really great event that like gets a lot of people. You have a, a clothing company that you started on your own. You're this VP, but like. Do you feel like you're all those things equally? Like, are those all no. three your jobs? Or are, is one a job and one's your <laughs> no. passion and one's your good time? Or like, what is it? I am, I'm, I'm a multi-hyphenate because I'm multi-passionate. Is like multi, I, I love, mul- multi-passionate is how we should talk about it. I have so many passions, but I also know that I have to, like for me being someone who is chronically depressed ADHD brains, all that stuff. Like I have significant getting the laundry done is a challenge. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like showering with regularity is a challenge. And I kind of have two speeds. I'm either go, 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 or I'm like lay down and recover, you know? Um, so I definitely don't think I'm all those things equally. Like with hip hop karaoke, I kind of like Taylor, who's the producer of it, brings me in as much as, you know, he's like very inclusive. And he's like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I'd be like, honey, 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 I just need to show up. Like, uh-huh. I just need to, like, if there's a wig budget, let me know what it is because I'm going to need to buy a wig. But like, <laughs> I, like, I just show up. I do my thing. I feel the energy. With the socialite, it's a, it's mostly a drop shipping company. So um, I don't have to handle any merchandise or inventory or anything. I have started doing, I started doing markets last year and that was like super labor intensive and costly, but was amazing marketing. And also was a great way to like, you know, bring in three to 500 extra dollars a month. You know what I mean? So you definitely get what you put into it. so I see, like, the socialites have very much been in the back burner the past couple months as the heat has turned up at my full-time job. But I like that it's there. So, like, people can still order things. It's not reliant on me and my energy. I think when you have an unreliable number of usable hours in a day because of disabilities, because of chronic illness or what have you, you have to, like, figure out what things can be on autopilot and figure out what things you can outsource. Yeah, so I, I, 
I feel like I follow the things that are most interesting to me, usually with the people who are most interesting to me. Bren, we do have this super fast thing. It's called the self-report. And you don't sure. have to elaborate on any of this. I'm just going to ask you, or we will take turns asking you six different questions. And you're going to rate one to ten. One is very no. Ten is very yes. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, how confident are you that you're doing your job well? Hmm. Eight. How secure do you feel in your job? Oh, that's a good question. I think being in nonprofits, you never know. Anything could happen. The wind could blow. And the wind could blow. You know, they could fall all down. But we're in a very well-managed one. I'd say like seven or eight. Okay, good. Good. Mm -hmm. How well compensated do you feel compared to other people with your job title? I would say in the nonprofit space, like nine um pretty well compensated yeah i renegotiated my pay last year which we should do a whole another episode about that yeah like write up a four-page document about negotiation yes yeah yeah so like yeah it was nuts um so i feel like a nine i think comparatively i'm sorry i choose to work for a nonprofit and like love the mission of it people in dni and corporates can get paid buku bucks so i would say in the grand scheme of titles it's probably ranges a lot but i would still say even compared to corporates i would say like eight or so yeah that's excellent yeah how marketable do you feel you are in your field you just brought up Hmm. comparing from private sector to public sector but how how well do you feel like you could market yourself in your industry uh probably like a nine wow um i'm so inspired nine um one, I think there's just so few people who understand the full breadth of what DNI is of mm-hmm. operations, culture, people, HR, data tracking systems, and multicultural marketing and external community civic impact. So I feel like working at the EC, where you really have to play a lot of different fiddles, um, has made me really capable for that. And I think I've learned a lot of things that make me more marketable. Like I built my own website where you can go see my resume and all that kind of stuff. And so all those things I think translate well. So even though I've never worked for a corporate, I can say, hey, I worked with these like eight global companies and secured contracts from these folks. So I can like sit with the big big boys and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I feel like I'd do it eight or nine. Um, Last one, how satisfied do you feel with your job? I I feel very, like a nine? I think like this is, D&I work is well funded. We got a lot of wins last year. Um, I think people understand why we do it. I have to have way fewer conversations about why we even would have this focus. Uh, And I honestly think a lot of that is due to the conversations we've had at the national level over the past two years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's been like one of the few upsides from like a really devastating few years in the public eye, right? Um, But yeah, I think pretty satisfied and I can I feel like we're in the midst of a sea change like one example so I mentioned we have this big award show we do every year the next awards and a few years ago um, the technology category not even you know two or three years ago was all white male owned companies um, this year the seven nominees across the slate were there were like four woman-led companies three black owned companies two black woman-owned companies and they're all recipients of the entrepreneur center's mission and we don't just choose from people who who are um program members we choose from the whole community of nashville but um they were all people who've either been 
scholarship awardees or gone through Twin Day or been entrepreneurs in residence. One of them was Shawnee. Um, so wow, something, circle. yeah, something's really happening that's like bringing attention to all the talent that's here and matching the energy of the talent and the new talent with the skills needed to go and play at the at the levels needed to play to be taken seriously and to really make a big impact. So that feels shockingly, I feel like we're putting points on the board really, really fast uh -huh. in this world, thinking about where we were three years ago to now. So that feels very, very fulfilling. It makes me feel gratified that we're yeah. doing the right thing. Well, Bryn, we are very happy to speak to someone who is a multi-passionate person <laughs> who's enjoying her job and feels and confident. And changing Nashville. Yes. Well, she we does don't, it. Yeah, we don't get many uplifting stories these days. So it's great to hear from someone I feel extremely rare. Yeah, just experiencing yes. them all around. And but I feel, I feel like your story, just hearing you talk about your career makes me feel like there's so much more that's possible in my career. Oh my god, a hundred percent. Like anybody Thank who's you. been able to like see Bren at work doing a thing <laughs> understands. It's just, it's just like a different. It's a different level of like commitment and energy. That you I do. I feel like absolutely manic internal <laughs> at events. <laughs> oh well. Well, Bren, we hope to see you in the flesh soon. Thanks so much Very for soon. joining us on this. Thank pod. you so much. I cannot. It was my pleasure. The best Thank you guys first for mobilizing guest. quickly too. Maria, what, what was your biggest takeaway from I our mean, conversation with Bren? I think it's the same takeaway I have whenever I meet with you. It's like, how are we sharing the same 24 hours in a day? Because <laughs> mine... She puts me to shame. Yeah, she like, really does. Wow. Um, she just has like a lot of enthusiasm. And like, I loved when she said multi-passionate. Like, mm -hmm. she's a multi-hyphenate, but she's like, screw that. I'm multi-passionate. And I think we like forget that we should be happy about doing the things that we're doing. And if we're not, to just say no. Right, right. I think Bryn's really good at saying no to things. And um, I think one of the things that is always so striking when I talk to Bryn is none of her thoughts are recycled. Yes, she's so honest. And she's so present. I feel like when I'm having a conversation – I'll often turn on autopilot and the things that are coming out of my mouth are things that I've like thought and vetted before. And I'm usually not putting a lot of effort into like coming up with an, a unique thought. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm like regurgitating a lot that has just been like simmering in my brain for a while. And Bryn is just, she just like, rolls profound thought after profound thought. Yeah, she's really authentically giving whatever she's giving. Yes. And and in a way that's like it resonates with you. Yeah. You know, like you want to have her say it again. Right. And I think um I don't know, I just met her today. Um and I felt like she made me feel special just talking to me. So like and she has to do that every day with a bunch of different people. Like she's a big name person. Yeah. Like she'll call you by your name. Wow. We gotta work on I gotta work on that. <laughs> that's like that um when in Mindy Kaling's first book, she says something to the effect of, like, you're not um, bad with names. You're just fucking rude. You know? Oh, shit. Yeah, right? That's me. I'm fucking rude. <laughs> I really am. I'm, I'm, get, I'm good at, like, insisting on saying somebody's name correctly. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm bad at remembering names when I don't think they're going to be important to me. Yeah. And that's rude. You kind of have to do that thing of, like, in my, at least in my job, I have to be like, Doug with the blue sweater. <laughs> Doug with the blue sweater. Oh, shit. I have to, like, create um, an image of them. I need to learn how to do yeah. that. But Bryn made me feel really special. And, like, I think that's what you're saying. Like, mm-hmm. she's very authentic in what she's saying to you. And it feels like, like you're, you're having a special moment with her. Right. Yeah. I'm feeling inspired. I hope. Or should we do tarot, you think? I think we should definitely do tarot. Have you done it before? Yeah. My friend Taylor does it. Oh, we wow. Have her okay. I'm scared. Uh, <laughs> you're scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like, tell me the future. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think, <clears throat> I think what also struck me was, like, I I feel like of all the people in my life, if there is going to be one person who when asked, hey, what's the next step in your career? You know, you've got a bunch of fires kind of lit. You know, you can pursue so many different things. I would assume that Bryn would say, oh, I'm going to chase this, like, exciting, cool thing that I'm doing on the side mm-hmm. as my next step. But she really doubled down on, like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this job, and maybe I'll even do something corporate in the future. You know, yeah. I'm like a, I'm a job, job girl, and that to me was really surprising. But also, like, made me feel a lot better about my choice to maybe do something that's like, you know, it's not real sexy. I'm not being, I'm not being an entrepreneur. You know, I'm not. I don't know. I Instagram don't have like a, famous. Yeah, I don't have a yeah. clothing line. I, I get a paycheck from a company yeah. every week. And there's a big part of me that's kind of always nagging, like, is that enough? Like, mm-hmm. And just to hear Bren, who I idolize so much, be like, yeah, I mean, I yes, I like this. Yeah, she was so con- seeming, like, she ranked herself content, satisfied, confident, marketable, mm-hmm. um, and, like, with consistency. So that is pretty rare. I think we... Got really lucky with Bren being our first uh, guest. Yes. The bar is set high. It's set so high. I hope these other people with jobs are worth talking to. <laughs> I hope um, their jobs yeah, are Yeah, good thing we're show. not paying them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your uh, job ain't shit. No. Uh, but I am super excited. She was such a great first edition and, um, you know, the, yeah, again, the bar set really high. So high. Um, one last thing that I'll say is just you mentioned that she rated herself really high and I think that that should give people listening who are thinking about a career change a lot of um, a lot of hope. Yeah. Because she just started working in business four years ago. Right. And that's not to diminish Bryn's capability or like the transferability of all of her skills that she's built so far in her career before that. But like, you know, if if you have a job that isn't in business, it's not an entrepreneurship, and that's something that you want to pursue. If you make that change four years down the line, you could be just as confident as Bryn is right now. She's feeling secure. She, she's feeling like she's really good at her job, you know? Yeah. I think um, one thing that resonated with me, and I hope other people hear this, um, you know, Bryn has to represent a bunch of communities that are um, systematically or historically boxed out of the conversation. But what I did hear her say is like the tools and resources are out there. They're available for you to learn about or ask questions about. And that was a lot of optimism. That gave me a lot of optimism. Right. You know, so, um, 
So I'm like, I'm saying my family at the top of the episode, my family has this olive oil business. And one day my youngest sister came online with like a shipping platform that she had set up for us. And I was like, she doesn't work in that field. And I was like, how'd you learn? She goes, TikTok, like TikTok for small business owners. And I was like, that is insane. Like you're just consuming like 30 second videos and you like got this whole shipping system like set up for us. So there's a lot out there. Uh Bryn is a connector, a master of information. And like, I'm proud of her. I'm proud of her. I just met her and I'm proud of her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm proud of us too because we're just kind of starting this podcast life. We're getting better every time. Today we recorded from the microphone. Yes, one microphone also. Yeah, yeah. Big deal. But we still don't know how to use headphones and microphone at the same time. That will come. That will come. My dining room table right now is covered in maybe every electronic that I own. We've got wires, cords, adapters, adapter dongles. Yes, love that word dongle. Can only go up from here. Yeah. Well, um, hopefully we won't be dongles in the next episode, but and we hope you stick around to listen. So. Okay. See you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.